Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. feel like I want to say good morning. Do you guys do that when you meet? I I loved it. You did it in worship. I felt, I'm like, okay, good. If I say good morning, he already did it. (laughs) Which that was a very sweet time of worship, by the way, team. Thank you so much for just creating space for God. So good. Um, We're really excited to be here tonight. And we're just grateful uh, for this family, for this tribe, for the history of of, uh, Westside Faith Center and just yeah, the legacy of your connection with schools and the way you have served this city and parts of West Eugene, we know about and we're blessed to be linked in the kingdom with you all. Do you want to say anything before we keep going? Uh, go ahead go ahead and launch, okay. Patty. And I, I've got a few things to say, but we'll, okay. uh, we'll so tag So Steve and I are going to team teach tonight. And this is the first time we've really kind of gone back and forth. We've taught together before. So you're the first rung at this, first, you know, run at doing this together. But um, we are going to be in Mark 8 because we have been told you are reading through the book of Mark. And so as we prayed and prepared, of course, Gianna gave us a freedom, like whatever the Lord lays on your heart. But we felt like the Lord just did zero us in on Mark 8, and we're excited to go there tonight, Um, and we're going to actually read through the whole thing and just present a few things that the Lord has laid on our hearts. Um, I just would offer this to us before we pray and kind of launch into it, that you just pay attention to where the Holy Spirit's getting your attention. This isn't one of those times, you know, of just let's try to get all of the good information, but like where does the Holy Spirit get your attention tonight? Because that's where the voice of God is actually interacting with you personally. Where is he getting your attention? And before I pray, I would just say this. Here's kind of the backdrop. If we were going to give an overarching what is happening in Mark 8, This would kind of be drawn out of verse 33 with Jesus' response to Peter, but I would present it as a question, and it would be this, kind of keeping this in the background. Do we have in mind the things of God or the things of man? Do I have in mind the things of man or the things of God? I think that's the theme and the question tonight. But let's just pray, and then Steve will jump in. So Lord, you are present. We love the promise. You're never changing your mind. Wherever two or more are, you're here. And because you're here, everything is possible. Everything is possible, King Jesus. So open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to hear afresh where you're getting your attention, individually, as families, maybe even corporately as a body. We welcome you to speak through your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, we'll go ahead and turn to Mark 8. I know it's going to be up on the screen as well. So uh, it's good to have all that access to the word here. So let's go ahead and read here through the first 
um, section, okay? During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had given, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had given, when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. Go ahead, next verse. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanatha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat and crossed over to the other side. Stop there for now. I want to look at these two stories and contrast them. First of all, I want to make a few observations. So in the first scene, we've got a large crowd that's gathered, over 4,000 people. Now, it doesn't say what Jesus taught or what Jesus did there, except for this miracle, But a large crowd had gathered, and where had they gathered? They gathered in a remote place. It wasn't in a village, it wasn't in a town, it was in a remote place. And Jesus was so appealing, he was so winsome, the draw of the presence of God was so strong that these people, this large crowd that had gathered, stayed with him for three days up to the point where they didn't have anything left to eat. Just very, very interesting, the draw of Jesus in a remote place. Then Jesus does not, moved with compassion, does not want to send them away hungry. He has in mind what he wants to do. He wants to feed them. So he asks the boys, How many loaves do you have? Seven. So they give over the small amount that they have, seven loaves to feed 4,000 people. And then later on, they had a few small, says, scripture says, he had a few small fish. So with the fish and the loaves, Jesus gives thanks, gives it to the disciples. The disciples distribute the bread and the fish and over 4,000 people miraculously eat. So a couple observations from this time. 
that Jesus' presence is so strong and so winsome for those who are seeking him. You see, these in this first story, some of them traveled a great distance to hear Jesus, to see Jesus. Where is the posture of our heart? Are we those who are pursuing him? Are we pursuing him and consistently pursuing him? But not only that, these are people that lingered in his presence. I love the last song that we just sang. I don't wanna go anywhere. I just want you, Jesus. I just wanna pursue. I just want to be with you. And these people not only traveled a long distance, but they lingered, they stayed with Jesus for three days, listening and learning. So they got his presence. They got his teaching. And then Jesus also provided for them. Not only his presence, not only his person, but his provision came to these people. These people went away full. They were nourished. And they were nourished with a miracle. These people, this crowd, got to see a sign from heaven. They got to see a miracle, and then they got to eat a miracle, and then they were sent away in that strength. In the strength of eating food, in the strength of being with Jesus, in the strength of seeing a sign from heaven, in the strength of knowing that the Messiah had come. Those that were hungry, those who were diligent seekers. You know, in Hebrews, it says that we must believe God exists because he rewards those who diligently seek him. So this was the characteristics of the crowd. In this case, the crowd was a crowd that Jesus wanted to be with because they wanted to be with him. And they went away full. But then the scene quickly changes it's just so interesting. It says in verse nine, he, Jesus sent them away. And then, he, and then in verse 10, he got into a boat with the disciples. And then he went to the region of Dalmanatha. And what happens in this place? Literally, Jesus leaves one place, gets in a boat, crosses, goes over to another place. He's got a purpose to be there. And what happens there? It says that the Pharisees came to him and they began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked for a miraculous sign. So here come the Pharisees with a different kind of attitude than the crowd that we just saw. They came to question. They came to test. They came with a self-righteousness that was steeped in tradition. They came thinking, we know, and Jesus, you don't. They came thinking, we're right, and you're wrong. They came with, we're going to test, and you're going to fail. And that is that self-righteous spirit, and that can creep up in any of us. But that was the group of people that Jesus interacted with in this place called Dalmanatha. And it was very different. They asked him for a sign and Jesus basically says, no, no sign's gonna be given. And this is the next, next phrase. 
Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed over to the other side. So Jesus takes a trip after being with the crowd, goes across the lake to this region of Dalmanatha. The Pharisees question him, test him. Jesus says, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna answer your request. I'm out of here. Contrast these two groups of people. Lord, help us be like the crowd in the remote region that got to be in his presence, got to recognize his person, got to receive his provision, and Jesus sent them away blessed and full. Okay, now we're going to pick it up in verse 14 through 21. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed with one another and they said, oh, it's because we forgot the bread. We have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus said, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? and ears but fail to hear. And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves and for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of, of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? This part of the story is going to turn now to spiritual discernment. As they leave the Pharisees, Jesus makes a really strong statement. He says, beware, watch out. And that really is amazing to me because if you have kids or someone you love, you probably never are going to say to them, watch out or beware, unless there's something that seems pretty dangerous or pretty pressing. It's not like I'm offering advice. It's not like, hey, have you considered? No, he said, watch out, beware, like wake up, be alert. These are imploring words. They mean in the Greek, take heed, see clearly, weigh carefully. That's what this means in the Greek. It has the inherent mean of, meaning of being able to perceive what is true. And Jesus is speaking to a danger that is subtle, it's sneaky, and it's not easily detected without the Holy Spirit's help. What's he warning them about? Yeast of the Pharisees, yeast of Herod. I just made cinnamon rolls this week. And you know what? In about four minutes, that little bit of water with just a teaspoon of yeast and a little sugar went from this big to this big. I mean, it just, it does not take long. And you know how it works, right? You know, all of a sudden we're gonna have cinnamon rolls and they're gonna rise and they're gonna keep rising. Yeast is a very unique organism that grows faster and more uniquely than any other kind of cell in animals or in humans. But in the scripture, the yeast of Pharisees is often a metaphor for self-righteous, self-reliant. And it carries this, this air of spiritual pride. Hence, yeast <laughs> rises and the scripture talks about pride puffs up, bi billows up. 
it rises. So, and, and, the, and, the, and the sad thing is the Pharisees started out really good. They were zealous for the things of God. They were incredibly zealous. But along the way, they developed their own standard of righteousness. They were the measure and they created more and more and they prided themselves on their ability to keep these laws that God never required. This self-reliant, self-driven spirituality leads to spiritual blindness and spiritual pride, deafness, hardness of heart, because on the throne is self, not Jesus. What is the yeast of Herod? Herod was a Jewish ruler in the Galilean region, right where Jesus was speaking at the time. He's the one who had John the Baptist killed. And though he practiced Judaism and was a Jew, he had married his faith with politics. And he was corrupt with the lust for power through political systems. He was intrigued by Jesus and by John the Baptist, but at the end of the ball, they were a threat to what he had come to enjoy of control and authority. Both the Pharisee and Herod had a seed of corruption, a yeast that had now contaminated the whole of life. And Jesus knew that even the tiniest amount of this or the love of power could infect the entire lives and ministry of his disciples. And he begins to let them know and to let me know and us know, you're not above the yeast working in your life. So I want you to know it because I love you. So be aware because in us is this bent nature that's being renewed daily by the Holy Spirit. And without that grace of God working in us, we too can lean towards the yeast. And then he reminded them, and I always think this is crazy when he says, are your eyes, do your eyes not see? He asked them the question, do you have eyes but don't see and ears but don't hear? What he's really saying is, you do have eyes that you're not seeing and you do have ears but you're not hearing. He's asking it so sweet, so nicely. Do you not have, do you have eyes and not hear or eyes and not see? But he's talking about spiritual discernment. It's gonna be important for them and for us to know that we need the Lord to help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what is real. Okay, and he is the God who gives eyes to see and ears to hear, the scripture says. So Steve's gonna pick it up in 22. All right, let's read the next section together. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. This is a crazy story. There's lots of kingdom crazy stories, but this is among them. 
So in the first scene here, the first thing that happens in this scene is we get some people begging Jesus to heal this blind man. And then Jesus takes him by the hand outside of the village. Very interesting. He's not going to do it inside the village. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But then Jesus in seminary learned how to do this. When you heal somebody in seminary, they teach you to spit on the part that needs healing. So Jesus being a really good student at seminary, he follows seminary instructions. And after taking the guy out of the village, he spits on his eyes and he puts his hands on him. Okay, so that's a, that's a technique. And you can try that next week if you run across someone in need here this week and you want to pray and are trust, trusting Jesus because this was a technique that Jesus used. But very interesting, Jesus asks him, after he spits, lays hands on him, do you see anything? And what's the blind man's response? He says this, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Well, this first, do I dare say, attempt of Jesus to completely heal the blind man. Hmm. Jesus had to go back and lay his hands on him again because the blind man saw in part. He didn't see people clearly. He saw people and they looked like trees walking around. And Jesus put his hands on the man a second time. A second time. So where are we at in our relationship with God? I know for me personally, there are times when I don't see as I ought to see. Maybe some yeast is still getting worked out of my heart. Maybe I'm in a brand new situation and I see the situation in part. Maybe I see people like trees. But how many times do we need to go to Jesus and how willing is he yet to put his hands on us again so that we can see clearly so that with the touch of his hand, we can see what he wants us to see. Again, it's that pursuit of him, his person and his presence and his provision. And if we go after him with that diligently seeking heart and say, Jesus, put your hands on my eyes again. I want to see clearly. And so before we go any further, I want to pray. I want to take this moment right now and I want to pray. And so what does Jesus want to show you right now? What does Jesus want to show you about your family? What does Jesus want to show you about schooling or about your place of employment? What does Jesus right now, today, even in this week, what does Jesus want to show you about your future? So I just want to invite you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray. We're going to ask Jesus, go ahead and close your eyes. We're going to ask Jesus to put his hands on us again and to give us sight. So Lord, you heal blind eyes. 
Lord, we all see in part. The Bible even says we see in part, we know in part, we prophesy in part. Lord, we agree that we only see in part. Jesus, would you put your hands on our eyes again? Put your hands on our eyes, Lord. We don't want to see people like trees. We want to see people like you've created them to be. Help us to see the people around us. Lord, put your hands on our eyes. Lord, that we could see our families clearly. Father, put your hands on our eyes that we can see our workplace clearly. Jesus, put your hands on our eyes. Help us to see what you want us to see in the future clearly. Holy Spirit, you show us what is yet to come. Jesus, put your hands on our eyes and help us to see ahead. Lord, help us to see everything clearly. We agree for this in Jesus' name. There's one more observation before I give it back to Patty I wanna make. And it's, it's a tale of two cities here. You see, in, in the first story here where the Pharisees showed up in Dalmanatha and here in Bethsaida, it's two very interesting cities. Dalmanatha, which we looked at before, is only mentioned here in the Bible, never mentioned again. And this is the only glimpse of Jesus' activity in that city. He came, self-righteousness questioned and tested him and he left. And in Bethsaida, in Matthew 11, we learn that in Bethsaida, it was one of the cities that Jesus denounced because he performed so many miracles in that city and in other cities, but people did not respond. They did not repent in seeing those miracles. So in Bethsaida and Dal Dalmanatha, we have, we have a city. We have cities that weren't impacted that didn't receive Jesus. And I wanna talk about, for a moment, the place where we live, this community here. And I wanna encourage you, as God gives us eyes to see everything clearly, that you, Westside Faith Center, are a part of a local church that struggles, but also that has great victories. You are one part of the body of Christ here in this region. Here in our community, there is a group of Jesus followers. You are not alone. And the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and forceful ones lay hold of it. You are a part of a local church that is advancing through struggles and through victories. And as you are sent from this place here at Willamette Christian Center, by the way, Willamette Christian Center is our home church. We pastored here for 15 years, called us out of missions to be here. As you're sent, and we were sent from here to help local churches in our community work together through One Hope. But you are a part of a vibrant church. 
and the church in this community is growing, even though we're struggling, as is the church around the world, we are growing. God is leading us, and I want to encourage you as you go. You are a part of a local church where God is binding the churches together in the spirit of unity, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that we would be one for the world to believe. Jesus taught us in John 13 that if we loved one another the way he loves us, that is the new command. And there is a group of churches, and you're among them, that are walking and laboring in unity for the world to know and experience Christ. So you're not alone. So be encouraged and have eyes to see that you are a part, a vibrant part of the local church. And we can, uh, maybe on another message, we can talk to you about miracles God activity around the community as the churches have been working together. One of the things you guys have done well at was, is partnering with schools. And I know it's been a challenge the last two years in partnering with schools. You've been a part of Project Hope. You've partnered with Prairie Mountain as other schools, uh, excuse me, other churches have partnered with schools. So carry on that great work. You are a vibrant part of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And there is one group of people who live here. Now think of it from God's perspective for a minute. When he looks at our community, the Eugene Springfield area, there's really two groups of people. There's people who are following and knowing Jesus. And there are people who have yet to follow Jesus. And we together make up the local church, the group that follows Jesus. And we're here to be salt and light and love so that everyone else can see and follow Jesus with us. Patty. Okay, I'm gonna pick it up in 22 and we're gonna bring us home. Verse 22, no, that's, that's where Steve just was. Verse 27, now we're moving from the healed man, eyes open to Peter seeing. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages throughout Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others, one of the, one of the prophets. Well, who do you say, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly to them about this. And Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I want to pause here for just a second. We're beginning to see how we see clearly. Now in this passage, Jesus says, what you don't have in this story, but it's actually in Matthew, the exact same story, right after Peter says, you are the Christ, Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter, because you didn't get that from your own understanding. You got that from God. You got revelation, and that's, that is right. And now Jesus steps out of teaching with metaphors, and he tells them really clearly, and here's what's going to happen to me. Now think about this. Peter gets a moment of eyesight opened. 
He has revelation. I know this is the Messiah. And then Jesus tells them what's going to happen. And Peter says, that's not the way we're going to do it. But I don't blame Peter because Peter doesn't have a frame for what Jesus is going to do. He has no idea that this was the plan of God, that it would be for the salvation of all nations, that it would be for the deliverance from the dominion of darkness, that it would break the power of sin and death. All that Peter could think was, well, if you're going to die, well, yes, prophets have died, but that's like a martyr. Jesus wasn't going to be a martyr. Jesus was going to be the ruling, reigning king. But Peter didn't know it. And so here we see, we can have divine revelation. We can have the spirit of God leading us into all truth. And we can also slip easily back into what we naturally think or all that we know. And God is so gracious to always say to us, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So lean in, open your hands. Be humble, keep seeking, because he'll guide us. This was a moment that we saw that the wisdom of man is really perfect folly when it pretends to measure up to the divine counsel that God would give. And the cross of Christ would be weird to natural understanding. It's how he works. And we were never can outgrow being a kid. God, your ways are higher, they're bigger. I'm just little. So I'm not gonna get too steeped in what I think. I'm gonna stay yielded. Now we're gonna move forward to the very end. Remembering the things of God in our heads and in our hearts are the things of man. Then he called the crowd to him with his disciples and he said, if any of you would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel, you'll save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can, what, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Here we have the powerful antidote to the yeast of Herod, the yeast of the Pharisees, spiritual blindness, deaf ears, and hardened heart. And it's called surrender. And it's not a one-time event. And we often will hear this passage and we'll think, yeah, I gotta take up my cross and deny myself. And, and sometimes that gets locked in our head like that's an event. Oh, I just gotta carry my cross through this hard situation. Or it's just a cross I gotta bury. Or I, I just gotta bear. I just, I'm going through this hard thing. And, and, or, or, or we'll think it's self-denial, like um, I'm gonna fast or I'm gonna deny myself these things. But this is an invitation into freedom from self. This is an invitation to freedom from the life that is self-directed, self-assertive, self-producing, self-initiated, self-sustained. And this taking up at the cross is I'm dying to self. 
I'm not choosing to make my own decisions. I am not setting my, charting my course for success. The master of my destiny gets to do that. This is the death to self. And you know what, guys? It's counterintuitive. It's, counter, it's, it's not what we think. Ruling our own life, making our decisions, mastering our destiny, doing our own thing, being led by our own understanding. We think that's true freedom, but it really is a yoke of slavery because self is a very hard master. You're probably your worst critic. And self will tell you all the time, you're not doing enough, you're not measuring up. You don't get it. Because it's the old nature. It's the, it's the self. And, and this is the life that gets to die. So that the life of Christ, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, gets to carry me, fill me, live through me. And I want to just add, as we come to a close, and if Livia, if you want to come up, that would be great. Dying to self is literally to die to self-rule, self-will, self-directed thinking, planning, assuming, possessing, controlling. And it's really the space of freedom. When the... When the, when the disciples already saw Jesus do two miracles of, of, of multiplying bread, they still had this thought of, what are we going to do? And Jesus goes, didn't you just see what I provided twice? Do you see what I just did twice? I want you to live that unencumbered life of trust in me. You're not trusting in you. We're not trusting in ourselves. Trust wholly in me. This is the free life that he's offering. But I need to provide. I need to do. I need to make my own way. I need to succeed. I need to build the resume. <laughs> most joyful people tend to be those who are the most surrendered. Just laying back. I'm not saying that's easy. That's a process. But it's the invitation to do this daily. Lord, you've got me today. You've got me every day. This is taking up our cross. This is dying to self. This is living fully alive. I wanna just say this last thing here. The passage where Jesus said, Whoever wants to save his life in this world will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake will save it or will find it. The Greek for that to save means, he's saying whenever you lose your life for me and you will save it, right there that Greek means it will be kept safe, it will be sound, rescue from danger or destruction, carried through suffering, healed, preserved, you will do well, be made whole. When we yield and surrender our lives fully, that's what we're getting. That's what take up my cross daily means. Does it mean that we're not gonna suffer in this life? It doesn't, but it does mean we're gonna be carried because I'm not just trying to make it through. I believe the Lord just so wants to carry and encourage and fill 
you and I afresh with a new life. I'm just gonna pray. And as you continue in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Mark 8, just see where the Lord is, what he's inviting you into. I think he's inviting us into something beautiful. Lord, I just thank you that you know our weakness. You know, like we're just frail, but you choose to give full life by your spirit to our inner being and then to enable us to live that life, that full life. Jesus, I ask that you would teach each one of us, myself included, what does it mean for today to lose my life, to surrender, to, to really take hold of eternal life now. Not a ticket for heaven, but like now eternal life. That's full. There's no lack. We just ask, I pray a fresh grace over us to be yielded sons and daughters, enabling you to fill us, carry us, and move us in new ways of trusting you. You're so faithful. You're so good. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are tender, I pray. In Jesus' name.